Hey Rocco, how's it going? Going well, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing okay. You know, I'm excited for this conversation for, for so many reasons. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're big fans of uh, everything that you're doing at, at, at Spruce. Why don't we just start out with getting you and Spruce introduced? Sure, and my name is uh, Rocco. Uh, actually, see, that's my secret internet name, but uh, actually Greg Rocco. <laughs> uh, but I found that folks uh, ultimately remember Rocco a lot more. Uh, and I co-founded a company called Spruce, specifically with the intent to give users across the web control over their identity and data. And uh, my co-founder and I actually started at a organization called Consensus, which has been around in the space for a very long time. And actually some of the very early pioneers of decentralized identity and uh, blockchain accounts. Uh, specifically with Uport way back in the day. They were thinking about this problem of like, how do we give users control over their identity and data for a long time? Uh, and thankfully, my co-founder and I were able to spend some time there and eventually started Spruce with the same mission. And specifically, um, a large part of it in the core philosophy that we have is around unbundling the login. Namely, when you go to apps and services today, you log in and that app... First off, actually, what you're logging in with, that username, sometimes isn't even controlled by you. Actually, most times it's not controlled by you. Let's say you logged in with like a Gmail account to some app or service. Google, at the end of the day, has full jurisdiction over that account you're logging in with. So if Google ever pulled the rug on you, you wouldn't just lose access to Google services. You lose access to everything you logged in using that Gmail identifier with. Because we use the sign in with Google button and just assume everything is going to work because it's easy and nice, but the rug. And it's magic. It's, it's magical. It's, it's, it's a magical thing. That's the one thing that I think always gets lost in a lot of the conversations with this is that as scary as it seems, it's still a great user experience that you could just click, click this button and log right in with an account that you use every day. But then the scary part is, is that rug like we're talking about now. What happens if Google ever did that, or Facebook, if you logged in with Facebook, or any other domain you've logged in with? Because Google's not the only button, but a lot of it just kind of centered around a select few tech giants. Yeah, And it's kind of like a moat, because login then becomes a moat for a lot of these companies. And it doesn't even stop there. It's As soon as you log in, that service is now the custodian of all the data you've generated on that service. And they could choose whether or not they serve it to you. So, for example, you log into Facebook and your Facebook data is just kind of on a Facebook server somewhere. Facebook owns it. It's how they monetize. It's how they kind of extract value from you as the user. And they may or may not serve that data. And at the end of the day, it's not yours. You leave both with an identifier and data that you don't control. And nothing comes with you at the end of the day. This transferability is uh, is kind of scary because if you've built up this long history with one of these websites, what happens if I want to go somewhere else? Uh, the answer is good luck. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's no like incentive number one for a lot of these services to do that because a lot of their moats have been built around keeping you there and not letting you export things usefully. There's laws that are coming out that require certain services to have data export, but if that data export is just a giant file that's a mess, like a spaghetti of all your stuff, and it's not usable for anything else, then really what's the, the point other than just stating the fact that here is the data, not necessarily being able to use it in any, in any form, shape, or way. And a lot of this routes back to early internet when a lot of things were designed without this in mind. 
even the concept of identity on the internet was never like standardized in any way. So the goal for any service was to get you onto a platform, use some identifier that just existed, even if it's just a username for that service, and just get you there. And they'll figure out the story later. The whole point was just to build apps and services that provided some kind of benefit to the end user. But then you end up with the situation where Facebook has a different version of Matt than Airbnb. And Airbnb has a different version of Matt than Amazon. And Amazon has a different version of Matt than Uber. And every single time, there isn't one unified Matt, but rather Matt across all of these apps and services. And this is where we get back into that that ownership and control. And so when you tell your... Uh, your family, that it's these corporations that own these things and that you're just uh, you're renting that space from them or whatnot. How, what do they what do they react with? What do they what do they respond with? Is it confusion? Sometimes. And I think it's been good that this concept has been brought up more and more in the general discourse you know, because it gets folks familiar with what's going on with larger tech organizations and apps that, number one, you know, it's not portable. Number two, it's controlled. And then what happens is, unfortunately, you have these moments of 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 shock. I imagine young Rocco years ago kind of going about the Internet uh, blissfully ignorant and then seeing uh, these things brought to you and in, in the light of day put on them and 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 wonder, you know, looking back. Now, you know, your your mission with Spruce is pretty uh, is pretty big, you know, to bring us closer to this future where users control their identity and data across their their digital interactions. That's that's pretty massive. And so, you know, going back to that uh, that rock, that that younger Rocco, that moment of of clarity of what's going on in the Internet, how do you. How do you bring that to today? What does it mean to uh, to say own and control your your identity and interactions? In the perfect view of it, it's if you can go to a service or an app and bring the correct version of yourself for that app. So, for example, if it's a Facebook profile that you share with your friends, it's a different version of you than something you share with your family. But just to use that as the, the distinction that you go to the service with the version of you that you have loaded. And the service understands, hey, this is Rocco. Here are these preferences. Here are the settings. Here is this data. And as soon as you're done, or as soon as you wish to sever that connection, that data comes back with you at the end of the day. You store it somewhere that you feel confident in storing it. And that identifier that you logged in with is something under your control. So you never have to worry about that problem where you have a Gmail account or a Facebook account that you're using to log into apps and services that they'll ever pull a rug on you is that that's the perfect kind of interaction. But a lot of the first steps to get there is that login, is that first kind of touch point. Mm. What's the first interaction you're having with a site or service? It's authenticating. It's saying that I am who I am. I have some way of proving who I am with a username, that's a password. With a Gmail, like a sign in with Google, that's proving you control that Gmail account by potentially signing in. And what's interesting about you know this space especially with like blockchain accounts and Web3, is all of these accounts that you have are all identifiers that you control. All these, you know, these, these public keys, these blockchain accounts. You control the private key at the end of the day. You control that ultimate password to it. And you're the only one who knows it. These. You hope so. 
You hope yeah. you're the only one. I hope so. <laughs> hey, I was about to say anything with key management. Yeah, but if oh, he, boy. It, it, that's yeah. the, that's that's a whole nother can of worms. We're not going to get into that here. So. No, no. <laughs> we're just going to skate on by that. <laughs> skate on by key management, but it's still thankfully there's a ton of folks working on that. I'm I'm very happy to see just the strides and advancements made in it. But it's an account that you yourself generated. And this is like, this is you, this is all, hopefully this is all you. And I, that's all kind of how it starts. That's a lot of the work we do at signing with Ethereum. How do you take these Ethereum accounts and use them to log into sites or services, which is that first major touch point. And even like before, even the whole, cause that's the whole thing you mentioned earlier. It's such a big subject. Decentralized identity is like massive because you could start to think about all the use cases that you can go down into healthcare, interoperable data. Um, like it's, it's endless, but it all starts with what is the one thing that you use to identify yourself to start any interaction. And that's that first touch point. For those of us that, uh, might be still new to this concept. If you could boil down in, in 30 seconds, uh, what's the, what's the core difference between that that username and password, which we're used to today, uh, and these uh, these keys, uh, or say how you have a blockchain account, uh, how that works. I would say with usernames, how often have you tried to have the same username across apps and services without having some issue where, you know, I would love to be Rocco everywhere on Twitter, on Facebook, on Gmail, you know, Rocco at gmail.com. Whoever owns that, please get in touch. I would love it. Um, but unfortunately, that's the situation we are in today because every app has its own pool of usernames that are possible. And someone may have claimed the one before that, but on another app or service, they haven't. But translating the whole username password to public key, private key, that public key, you could think of as that username. However, you are the sole owner of that one universal username, that public key. That public key is unique across any service you go to, and you are the sole owner that no one else can use that same username. You could use that across everything without worrying about someone using that same one because they can't prove control over it, whereas you can. So then translating that then into the work that you're doing with sign in with Ethereum, uh, it sounds like what you're trying to do is to take that, that nice and easy and seamless experience that we get from sign in with Google or Facebook or whatever, uh, and bring it to this space where I own these keys. No one else can like claim over that. And I can't be rugged and no one can take this uh, away from me, but I can still have the sort of ease and, uh, in simplicity of those, uh, those buttons of old. Is that, is that generally right? That's the whole track there is trying to get towards the, as good of a UX as these traditional services offer with using these uh, these public private key pairs with these key pairs that you control at the end of the day and like i said the first step how do you get someone to sign in how do you even move past like you know passwords with you know proving you own that public key using that private key with some wallets like we're talking about is just signing something which is the equivalent of hitting a button because the ux in these wallets have gotten a lot better yeah and that is your way of logging in so we have this sign in with an Ethereum experience. We control uh, these uh, these identities, and now we can jump to any one of these sites. Uh, 
I'm really interested in this ownership aspect where when I go to sign in with one of these sites, I'm kind of bringing these things that are uh, associated with that account already to, to that experience. And when I sign up the next one, the next one, the next one, uh, I get to kind of bring this along. Uh, but all with that idea of I own this, you know, as you have been out there and tried to explain what you do, whether it's to family or, you know, say a, a congressman or, or whatnot, uh, what does it mean to them? Is it easy to get to that aha moment of, uh, oh, wow, my my data is traveling with me and I can just sign in and it's uh, it's just there? Uh, or do you find that we're so rooted in these uh, these kind of old way of doing things that it's hard to bridge that. I think a lot of it is like what we're talking about now is drawing the parallels. It's like a play in three acts. That's the first act is the sign in. The second act, when you have this kind of rising action and things are starting to get more exciting, is when you start to talk about credentials and these pieces of your data that you're going to be bringing with you. And there is a standard that came out of a larger standards body called the W3C uh, called verifiable credentials. And what these things are, are just signed statements about reality that have an issuer, a holder, and a verifier. So in this case, the issuer is the person making that statement or entity or organization or whomever. The holder is you at the end of the day in this example that we're talking about, like you are the subject of this credential. And the verifier is someone who wants to test that information. The easy example to point to is like when you want to present a uh, diploma for graduating from somewhere. The issuer would be a college, university. You would be the holder of that diploma, that piece of data, that signed statement about reality, signed off by that university. And maybe it's a potential employer that's verifying that. So after you've signed in, after you've authenticated in some way, you're then able to present this information issued to you, to whomever is asking for it, and you choose to do so, is the second step in all of this. You've logged in. Now, how do you start? Like, where do you start with your identity? Where do you start with your data? Well, this new model of an issuer, a holder, and a verifier is how we get towards you holding these credentials about yourselves, holding these pieces of your identity with you. And they, these verified credentials, they're sort of self-affirming i can just show this to you and we can trust that whatever it's saying is is true ultimately without having to do many round trips of data being able to say that yes this was in fact issued by a dmv this was issued by university and knowing that based on this credential that's been presented to have that verifiability knowing that they were the original issuer right and this just sets the stage for these pieces of data these these pieces of data to come with you because the whole thing is Part of that mission, instead of these services holding all of this and generating like, you know, first name Matt over and over and over and over again, if you just came with the self-affirming credential saying first name is Matt, they're instead taking it from you rather than recreating that same credential over and over again across all of these different services. It's a it's a fascinating thing. And I, I think about when we get back into the real world uh, pains that we have. Uh, because that's not the way the status quo works. You know, I moved to a new town here last year. And so I get, you know, new, uh, new doctor's offices to go to, new dentist, all of those things. 
And the most annoying thing is that I feel like every time I sit down and there's that clipboard of like five pages, 10 pages, whatnot, where I've got to meticulously go through and tell them my entire medical history over and over and over and over again. And, you know, as a, as a young and relatively healthy person, that's not that much pain to have to go through. But, you know, my, uh, you know, some of my older relatives, my grandfather, if he were to have to do the same, well, that's a long history, but also it could have, you know, say totally negative downstream effects of if, if you failed to include something that was critically important for a new provider to know, and these systems are just uh, spaghetti. They're, they're, they're so messy. What does this do for that scenario? It is the babble fish for data. How do we get every piece of data all on the same format so that any system that this data is going into can understand it and interpret it? Because at the moment, like, much like we talk about a lot of interoperability in the space we're in, all these systems are not interoperable. They don't speak the same language. That a record from one doctor does not look the same way as a record from another doctor. And even more critically, it's a part of it's the hassle with onboarding to multiple different providers. How do you send history from one ophthalmologist to another? You have to change that doctor. But even so, in the case of a hospital or an emergency situation, how does that hospital get your medical history and know that you are in fact allergic to something that they may have to administer and don't know whether or not you're allergic to it? You could have these like very deathly scenarios, but going back, it's a way of just getting this translation layer for all of this data flowing through. And also you are at the center of it so that you don't have to have these transfer scenarios that instead you can just show up and be like, here it is. And I always like in verifiable credentials is just this, this babble fish this uh, universal translator for all of this data. Babblefish being the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, reference there. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. It's a tough road and and getting adoption, you know, in, in thinking about all this, the, the questions around access. I love these questions because, you know, just like, I don't know, less than two years ago, I uh, I was able to buy a home and that is such a crazy example of giving people access to information that is really sensitive. I mean, literally like your bank statements and tons of other historical records. And I got to tell you, like when I go to some site that's like, hey, here's who's going to give you the best interest rate. I'm like, yep, cool. And I'm just like, like uploading wild amounts of sensitive data. And in some cases, literally giving over access to my bank account because it's faster. Well, I'm now a couple years in, I, I picked a, a mortgage provider and I'm very happy with that. But then what of all of those others that uh, I might've submitted to, what are they doing with that data? Uh, it does seem like it could be a bit of an uphill battle, but where, you know, where are we in this journey today? I think with that, it comes in two parts. The first step is the larger battle that takes a longer amount of time. And that's how do you start mapping policy change across the world? How do we eventually make it so that it may be illegal for corporations to hold this data against our will, to collect the information they collect when they don't actually need it? Because that'll be one of the drivers of this. And the second 
is how do you empower developers today and folks building these systems to number one, understand how to use these new pieces of technology and build systems that are just as efficient while using these things and have the tools they need to implement them. And a large part of the work over, that we've been doing over at Spruce is specifically on how do we build these tools out? How do we make sure that a developer can get started and have a way to issue and verify credentials, have a way to let users sign in using identifiers they control, ultimately to get towards a world where you have applications where users bring their data with them. And all that comes down to just empowering builders and educating folks about the subject. And I think one of the biggest battles is ensuring that the user experience with these new kinds of applications where they are bringing their own data is just as smooth as what they're used to. Because if you start to degrade experience for a user in an application to give them this control, it gets a lot more difficult to have them use it. It has to be just as easy as it is today to interact with apps and services. How do you make it super easy for the users and how do you make it super easy for the developers to, uh, to actually leverage these, these awesome new technologies then? And so, you know, give me an example of something that, uh, that you've got, uh, say, in your, in your suite of, of offerings. What's, uh, what's something that you've got today that uh, gets those users and developers uh, closer to this future? The first part of the suite, uh, we're working on a product called SSX right now, which uh, stands for self-sovereign anything, but a lot of it is us building it towards being this toolkit. And it has the ways of letting users log in with identifiers they control. And a large part of the work right now for us is how do we also have these authorization flows? Um, a big part of it is when you've signed in with Google before and you may have been asked, hey, do you also want to share information from your Google Drive. You also want to share your contacts from Google. The other information you bring with you already in these kinds of forms, we also need to let these users know that when they access the site or service, what they may be sharing. So in these wallets, we're working a lot with wallets on specifically, how do we inform a user if they do want to bring credentials they control? How do we inform the user that about what the app is accessing on their behalf and to let them sign off on that. And in the sign with Google world, you get this modal that's popping up and saying, hey, you're authorizing access to these things, or do you wanna authorize access to these things? How do we get in a wallet, for example, the message to say, this site is trying to have read access to your data, or the site wants to store data with you, or the site wants to update things on your behalf. And how do you translate that for the user? is a big part of what we're working on today. And one of the challenges it seems like you're you're working through with that is you know in that other world the uh, you go to to Google and you sign in and it's asking hey do you want to give you know this you know Acme website access to your contacts and your email and all those things but they can do that because Google knows the whole thing end to end they know everything about what it is that is being asked for and what you're presenting but you know, back in this this you know brave new world of of Web three and crypto, you know we we've mentioned the word composability. It's like we have so many disparate systems that speak their own language and can all be plugged together in all of these interesting ways. 
it sounds like part of the work that you're doing is the heavy lifting of making that experience uh, more seamless and more uh, easy to understand and, and act as that that babblefish, that that universal translator that uh, makes it just as easy to see things as that Google experience. But what's behind the scenes is uh, is far messier and uh, and more custom. Yeah, we can give developer tools like developers tools all day to implement these things. But again, if it's not if the user experience isn't there and the user is unsure as to what they're doing, then we've ultimately failed. And a big part of it is making sure it's all translated. That consent is given before data is even given, because that's the whole point of this, is that the user has more control over consent as to what they want to present and what they want to bring with them and what they're authorizing to show. And if they can't control that, then what does it matter anymore? Well, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and listening in with us, uh, Rocco. That was a, a lot of fun. And, and certainly, if you ever want to be uh, if you want to have your 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 mind challenge, just go back a few pages into your Twitter history, and you're going to be looking up acronyms and concepts all day long. But uh, this was a lot of fun, and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Matt.